Welcome to Unexpected Points, the Friday afternoon YouTube live stream slash podcast edition. Uh, let me throw on here in the comments for YouTube. You can leave your Q&A there. Uh, hopefully we won't have any technical, actually not technical difficulties, but uh, next door of the townhouse that I'm living in since we moved down from New York. Um down into Maryland. I guess I can't get out of that uh, non-single-family residential home life. Uh, they got some sort of construction going on next door. So if you hear some hammering, some sawing, some whatever going on there, apologies in advance, but uh, hopefully this microphone will direct things pretty well for me. Uh, also, apologies for starting this slightly late today. Uh, I was doing my Offensive Player of the Year research. Some interesting nuggets that I have there. Uh, some stuff that I probably believed some of the like logical narratives around certain things, like the fact that quarterback will not win the award, um, that I'm not quite as sure about anymore. Not quite, not sure about at all. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that. Maybe we can find some value there uh, for that fact. Uh, I think there's also some relative mispricing of quarterbacks if you are going to look at a quarterback in that market. Uh, the other piece of research that I had coming out this week, and again, I'm updating all of this stuff with new data. So apologies if anyone's expecting, you know, two, three pieces of research this uh, a week coming out. But I did think I had a pretty comprehensive piece on NFL MVP markets, what to look at in the early offseason, uh, debunking some narratives on that one, too, and uh, put that out yesterday so hopefully subscribers were able to get hold of that and then we had the interview with ben Baldwin earlier this week next week i'm going to talk to bill Connolly of espn he does a lot of college football stuff we also might get some soccer talk in there international soccer talk in there so you guys can peace out of the interview if you're not interested in that when we talk about that in the second half but you know he's been one of the i guess sb nation i think before coming over to espn someone on the forefront of numbers-based analytical thinking when it comes to college football. And we might be interested in what his opinions are on a lot of not only what's going on on the college side of things, but how that's going to affect the NFL. So we'll talk to him next week on the pod. All right, let's get into the stuff for this week. For those of you who did not see, just quickly going to talk about the MVP research. Again, go to unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Check it out or go to Twitter. You'll see that I put something out on there. And for MVP, I do think the MVP market is pretty sharp, generally, as far as pricing is concerned. But there are some biases that seep into it. And I would say the main biases that I see seeping into it are this idea that people like long shots and therefore looking at some of the pricing here. And there's a lot of quarterbacks who have some chance of winning or a lot of young quarterbacks who have entered the NFL in the last few years, who people may be excited about and see them as like a potential MVP eventually. Um, obviously, we have Mahomes, who's won a couple now. You know, Lamar has won his, but he's still kind of in that mix. We have Joe Burrow. We have Josh Allen. We have Justin Herbert. All those guys are floating around. We have Trevor Lawrence, who's now emerged. And we have Jalen Hurts, who had 
a great campaign last season and in the different markets, whether it was the MVP market or the offensive player of the year market, Hertz was the one behind Mahomes. Um, but I still think that voters are not biased against someone who has won the previous year or multiple times. I don't think there's a fatigue factor. At least the limited evidence that we have from MVP markets does not hint that there's a fatigue factor to this. And I know that MVP voters don't purely look at statistical nerd measures, although there are a few nerd or nerd-adjacent voters now on there. Uh, Aaron Schatz, I believe, is a voter, AP voter. Mina Kimes is an AP voter. They may actually explicitly be looking at some advanced metrics. I mean, Schatz obviously is looking at his um, football outsiders metrics. But generally, there is a sentiment that goes into how good we think a quarterback is. And that sentiment, a proxy for that sentiment, because we can't just go and extract from people's brains what they're thinking, but a good proxy really seems to be EPA per play or expected points added per play. And why that is, I mean, we can think about it in a bunch of different ways, but I think simply it does represent the value being won or lost on a play-by-play basis. It's obviously going to be the highest correlated metric for any one player, the quarterback plays that the quarterback is involved in. Between that and winning games, winning is very important. I think people overemphasize like winning outside of how good the quarterback plays when we talk about MVP, because like if your quarterback's having an MVP statistical season, team's going to win a bunch of games. You know, it, it's difficult to do that, to not to, to not win, you know, 10, 11, 12 games at least if you're if you're having an MVP type of season. So I think a lot of that like feeds into the intuition that we have. And maybe some of the mistakes that voters would make in not properly weighting things like turnover-worthy plays that are not actual turnovers. I want to think about probably 2021 would be a good example of the fact that um, there were drops, I think, that affected Brady. There were turnover-worthy plays that happened that were not his fault for Brady. Uh, and some of that affected the results for the Bucks. But EPA per play still went to Rodgers, and then Rodgers won won the award. Um, so I think, like, even not accounting for some of the, like, watch the film sort of stuff, I think, like, it's more just tied to results, and people are results-based, this EPA per play metric. And I I looked at this from 2020, 2001 is basically when the EPA data really starts in full. So I looked at that through 2022. I looked at all quarterbacks who played at least 14 games. That seems to be about the threshold. Because if you look at 2016, when Matt Ryan won the award, Brady actually was number one in EPA per play, but he had the suspension, the deflate gate suspension, where he missed four games. You're just not going to get there. Carson Wentz wasn't going to get there in 2017 when he missed, I guess, three and a half games that, that season. So you need to have, you can miss maybe a couple of games, maybe two, three games as part of that. So anyone who played at least 14 games, and if you look at those seasons, There were 20 quarterbacks who won the MVP award over those 22 years. Um, In fact, three years, running backs won the award, but then one year, two quarterbacks won the award. It was a tie between um, Steve McNair and Peyton Manning 
uh, all the way back in 2003. So for those 20 quarterback winners, 15 were first in EPA per play, 15 out of 20. An additional four were second in EPA per play. And that includes Peyton Manning again, where there, there was a tie, right? McNair was first in EPA per play. He was second. So it's like somebody had to be first and somebody had to be second. So again, 19 out of 20 quarterback winners are first or second. And then one is fifth, and that's Cam Newton in 2015. And I think Cam Newton won because the team was 15 and one. Um, The offensive results were impressive in terms of scoring. And one of the reasons that Cam Newton's EPA per play wasn't as high as our perception of him that year is because he had awesome field position. A lot of turnovers from that Panthers defense put him in great, great, great field position. So they didn't have to, he didn't have to generate as many expected points in order to score that season. So that was like a little bit of the disconnect that went on in people's heads. And I think also that year, if you look at the top passers that year, you didn't have a Brady up there. You didn't have a Peyton Manning up there. Hell, you didn't even have like a Philip Rivers or a Drew Brees or someone else up there. No one was really at the top that were more of the, the, the well-known brand name type of guys. It was Carson Palmer and Andy Dalton who were really up one and two in EPA per play. Dalton even missed some time that season at the end. So you didn't have the brand names up there also, which again, which is going to goes back to my point of like, there isn't a fatigue prop. Like they're not going to give the award to, they're not going to feel great giving the award to Andy Dalton because he was the best quarterback that year because they're fatigued of giving it to Tom Brady. It's like, no, if anything, they're probably going to cheat to give it to Tom Brady before, even if Andy Dalton was a better quarterback, because we just don't believe what we're seeing from Dalton nearly as much. And we can build narratives around why his team is helping him much more than that. So it really is just whoever's the most efficient, the vast majority of the time wins the award. Let's not overthink it. Let's not overthink all the different narratives that are in people's heads. Let's not overthink all the different storylines that are in people's heads. Most efficient quarterback, probably going to win the award. And again, when we talk about wins, and I think this is commonly what people will do is to say, well, I can't, you know, look at this quarterback who's playing for a team that's projected to have a 500 record because they're never going to win MVP. Well, if that quarterback plays like an MVP, he can win MVP because they're going to win a lot more games. If you look at MVP winners, they have to win at least 11 games. And again, this is back as 16 game season for a lot of this. Matt Ryan was one of those with 11 games. I think Peyton Manning might have been the other with 11 games. So two of two of the 20 won with 11 games. And then it was six with 12, four with 13, five with 14. So yeah, you're winning a lot of games, but again, you're playing well. If we look at preseason win totals that you're expecting from these teams, uh, nearly half, nine out of 20, were projected to win fewer than 10 games. So you don't have to be a team projected to win 10, 11, 12 games going into the season. You don't have to be projected to be a top five team in the NFL to win MVP because you outperform and then your team does well. People need to like not separate those two things so much, like win expectations from MVP. If you get a, an outlier outcome from the, from the quarterback and he's playing really, really, really well, you're going to win a lot of games. Don't overcomplicate the thinking and say, oh, but they don't have a good defense, so they can't win MVP. Let's not think about that. They don't have a good running game, so they can't win MVP. Let's not think about that. Let's concentrate on whether the quarterback is going to be good or not. That's the most important thing. Uh, and how do we do that? Well, I have this Bayesian updating that I use where I look at how a quarterback has performed over time, 
give a distribution of outcomes based upon what we've seen quarterbacks do in the past. Each throw they make, we get a little bit more confident in how good that quarterback is. Uh, the more dropbacks and plays they've been involved in, the more narrow the distribution and the more confident we are that the performance that they've had so far in their career is like their actual baseline skill level that they can produce going forward. So the biggest thing looking at this, and again, we know EPA per play is the metric that seems to encapsulate things. Um, It's definitely going to be tied the highest to winning, which is going to affect things. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, while people may group him as being, you know, at the top of this elite young quarterback tier, the reality is because of how consistent he's been performing well, and he's been doing it for longer with more dropbacks than a lot of these other young quarterbacks coming into the league in 2017. Didn't play in 2017, but starting in 2018, high, high volume passing attack and all of these different seasons. He's just on a different level. Straight up. Different level than the rest of than the rest of these guys. You know, he's not really like a 1A to the 1B, C, D, and E for, you know, Burrow, Allen, Jackson Herbert Hurts no he's he's in his whole he's in a whole different category from these guys on how we should project him going forward now could the passing game be fragile there could Travis Kelsey maybe not play a full season for once and things break down yeah sure but you know there's fragility in a lot of passing games if Stefan Diggs goes down what happens if Jamar Chase goes down what happens I mean Kelsey's a lot older so you have the age-related decline there but at least even with Mahomes, we've seen him now do this without Tyreek Hill. So he gives some, he's done it now with a very low A dot last season where he was a high A dot guy before. So he probably has more outs and more outs with Andy Reid doing the play calling for adjusting to a bad luck variance in other ways of his game. He's just on a different level. I mean, think about this for how he's done so far in five, five seasons as a starting quarterback. Let's look at EPA per play. He's been first twice. So 40% of the time he's been first in EPA per play. Those happen to align with the two seasons that he won MVP. Outside of that, he has been um he's been second twice. So four out of the five years, he's first or second in EPA per play. And then his worst finish, worst finish for Mahomes in five seasons as far as his efficiency on high volume. So he's adding a ton in total EPA per play. He's ranking first in total EPA. And not sorry, sorry, not total EPA, EPA per play, but total EPA in, you know, in four out of five seasons. He was third in 2020 behind Rodgers and Brady. That was his worst season. Now, if you add playoffs into it, which of course are not part of the MVP award, but they are part of like seeing how good he is and getting a bigger sample in two of those seasons. He actually jumped the two seasons where he was second in EPA per play. He actually jumps the first in EPA per play because he was so much better than Lamar Jackson in, in the 2019 playoffs that he leapfrogs him there. So it's just like your downside for Mahomes so far in his career is third in EPA per play, <laughs> you know, 40% of the time he's first and he has high, high volume. So no one can take away the volume argument which could come in a little bit into some of these, some of these equations. There are guys who have not won in the past. Like Chad Pennington was a guy who had a high EPA per play or a high uh, adjusted net yards per attempt at that point in time, who didn't win because he had a very low volume type type of offense. So even that can't really get him there. Um, so when I have this, this Bayesian updating, I can also apply it to a single season 
And when I do that, you know, Mahomes, who again, his odds are like seen as him being a 1A to these other guys. And I'm looking at the best available betting odds that you can get on him. So no particular book. I don't, uh, although on some books, maybe FanDuel, I think, uh, he has the same odds as Joe Burrow. They're both plus 700. There's just no way that should ever be true. That they should have the same odds. So so the best odds you can get on him are plus 700 for Burrow is 800, Allen 900, Herbert 1200, Jackson 15, 17 for Lawrence, 18 for Rodgers, 18 for Jalen Hurts. I'm putting them as my, my top guys. So that's an implied probability of 12.5% chance that Mahomes wins. I have a more above 16% chance that he's going to have the top efficiency. And again, when you have the top efficiency, despite the narratives out there, guys have won in the past, whether it's multiple times or not. Four out of the eight multiple MVP winners have done it in consecutive seasons. You know, there's no there's no bias. Peyton Manning won four out of seven seasons. Peyton Manning won the award, including back-to-back seasons. Rodgers just did it in back-to-back seasons. Uh, Brett Favre won it three times. They were consecutive, one after another after another. There's not really that much of a bias against it in this in this circumstance. Maybe it's a tiebreaker type situation, but once we get through, you know, this full 17 game season, a tiebreaker is going to be is going to look like there's less situations where it's actually that close in people's minds when we get to the end here. So he he's above. He looks like he has better odds. Rogers also looks like he has better odds because of the fact that hey, he's won the award. You know, two out of the last three seasons, even after an off year. I'm a little bit more concerned about age decline with him. I'm a little bit more concerned about changing teams with him. I'm a little bit more concerned about not necessarily having a great offensive line, which he had a top five offensive line for, I think it was 90% of the seasons that he was in Green Bay. Um, So I'm a little, I would discount that a little bit, but none of the other guys I see SC as really having any value. And just to quickly go through the rest before I start, you know, maybe taking some questions for Q&A here. The other guys who have a higher probability of being the top quarterback and again i run all these different simulations to get these probabilities i'm using these distributions i'm running simulations and then they can tell me based upon the random simulations you know who ends up being first here knowing we have these distributions of potential outcomes based upon how these guys have played uh deshaun watson is like the best value in the entire nfl problem is you know he's he's plus four thousand for a reason he's 40 to one for a reason um you know, he's the guy where if he was the MVP by his stats, and I put that at about as a 5.3% chance percent chance of happening versus his 2.4% implied odds here. If that does happen, yeah, I- I'm willing to believe that narrative. <laughs> I'm willing to believe that of 50 AP voters, quite a few of them not only will not put him as their first, because, you know, we have rank ordered voting now where they vote one uh, first through fifth now. In the voting, not only will some people not put him as first, some people aren't going to put Watson as second, third, fourth, or fifth, even if he looks like he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Now, I think if you want to leverage maybe some pessimism on Watson that's undeserved, I would say let's look towards markets of betting on the Browns, either to win the division, win the AFC, 22 to 1, not too bad. Uh, some other things you can do with the Browns there. MVP, I'm willing to say, I mean, he has the same odds as Jared Goff for a reason. Because, you know, no one's going to give it to him. So I do have Tua as being a value. And again, this is because we're looking at this EPA per play thing. And Tua was second in EPA per play. 
on a lower volume. So maybe if he played more, there would that would have come down. We're less confident in how well he played last season. But, I mean, he's still going to have those weapons there. And if he has a, a bang-up season, and remember they lost all these games where they started off hot. Like, if they had a really, really great record, Tua doesn't miss time. Obviously, he has extra injury risk that others don't. And he has the most efficient quarterback season. I don't know. I think he's got a decent chance. And he's at plus 2,200. So he's between Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts. He's kind of like right in the second tier, 4.35 implied probability. I have him as being a 4.85 actual probability of having the top quarterback season. So like Dak Prescott only being slightly below him. Justin Fields, what the hell is going on here? Only being slightly below him. Man, I, I don't see that. I mean, he's at least shown that upside last season with the weapons he has around him. If you don't want to give him credit for it, that's fine. But if he's playing at that high, high level, if the defense plays okay and the 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 Dolphins are win the AFC East over Aaron Rodgers, over Josh Allen, over, uh, you know, Mac Jones, um, if they win the division and they're like one of the top teams in the AFC and they look like, uh, second or first or second seed in the AFC to 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 could win this thing. You know, he, he he actually did it last year. He had MVP type of efficiency last year. Didn't just didn't make enough games to really put himself in the conversation and to give his team the boost to put them in the, to put them on that level where it would filter forward to, to Tua putting him in that conversation. Now, for the super, super duper long shots here, a lot of guys look like they have a little bit of value, but they're probably being overestimated. Again, it's like if you bet on someone at 100 to 1 and you have them being, they should be 50 to 1, but you but they're 100 to 1, well, you know, once every 50 years that bet pays off. So, you know, congratulations when it pays off, but there's a reason why betting on these ultra, ultra, ultra long shots is maybe even a losing proposition, even if you think you have an edge because you're tying up your money forever on this. But I do think Garoppolo, you know, Garoppolo's a guy. His two two full seasons, he was eighth in EPA per play and seventh in EPA per play. So he's been top 10 in his two full seasons. Maybe he'll get more volume with the Raiders. He has some pretty good weapons with the Raiders. He's 100 to 1, his odds on here. And if you combine all of the seasons where he didn't finish because he gets injured or he started the season late when he came over to San Francisco in 2017, if you can, if you smush all those seasons together, for Garoppolo, which is 2017, 2018, 2020, and 2022, the ones that he didn't really play long enough to have a full season, um, it would have been 0.24 EPA per play on 780 dropbacks, which is basically exactly what Aaron Rodgers' efficiency was for his 2021 MVP season. So, like, you combine, you squish together all those partial seasons for Garoppolo, you have kind of like an MVP season. Now, he doesn't have Shanahan, he doesn't have all this stuff, I get it, but whatever, he's 100 to 1, guys. Um, and then the other only one that shows up is pretty pretty good value is Brock Purdy, I don't know. I'm starting to get low-key vibes that um, Shanahan might be into Sam Darnold, and the Sam Darnold experience this year. Uh, I'm reading today that uh, uh, Trey Lance has fixed his throwing motion. <laughs> always wonder about it's like with the josh allen thing why are you waiting till two seasons in the nfl to fix your throwing motion what's going on here could you not fix that like before you get into the nfl i mean i get it you're a north dakota guy you didn't throw the ball that much uh in your whole in your whole college career but you know 
maybe go go dial up that quarterback coach a little bit earlier to to get these things <laughs> fixed up before it's your third NFL season. Um, but anyway, that's the research. Check it out. I'm going to have more stuff on a few different markets. I'll quickly say for some of my research on offensive player of the year. Um, the one thing I'm not sure about is this idea that quarterbacks are not going to win the award. That it's going to be MVP and then it's going to be offensive player year is going to go to another, another position because like Tyreek Hill wasn't even in the picture last year to potentially win this award, even though he was awesome. Uh, Jefferson won, right? But he had 35 of the votes of the 50 votes. That's not dominant there. Patrick Mahomes got 10 first place votes. Jalen Hurts got a few first place votes. You know, Patrick Mahomes got a bunch of second place votes. Jalen Hurts got a bunch of second place votes. You know, they're in the conversation. There, you know, it's still possible. I know that it's probably not going to go back as to back in time um, like it has been before with quarterbacks winning this award. But if you look at quarterbacks in the past, how many times they've won this award. And again, you didn't have the rank voting, you didn't have all that stuff. But just going back here, Patrick Mahomes in 2018, there was a lot of doubles. There have been a lot of doubles in the past where guys win MVP and Offensive Player of the Year. So Patrick Mahomes in 2018, Matt Ryan in 2016, another double. Cam Newton in 2015, another double. Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning in 2013, another double. Uh, Drew Brees in 2011. That's a single. Brees never won MVP. Uh, Tom Brady in 2010. Drew Brees in 2010. In 2008, Tom Brady in 2007, Peyton Manning in 2004. That's a lot. That's a lot of guys. And I know, like, maybe we're in a different era. Maybe the rank voting, you can do first, second, and third for this award. Maybe that'll change things. But, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is that much. And what I noticed about these Offensive Player of the Year, um, I think we know that, like, non-quarterbacks are not going to influence their team's win and loss record like for the quarterbacks. I think we do have to think about an offensive player of the year, how many wins the team is going to be able to get, even if it's not the fault of the player. Because if you look at offensive player of the year, all the different guys who have won, the non-quarterbacks who have won, have none have been on a, a team with a losing record where like you can have an outstanding season as a running back or a wide receiver, like a, a offensive player of the year, a non-quarterback MVP type of season on a team that doesn't have a winning record. Like it's possible that you're just not going to be able to overcome uh, a poor quarterback play or poor defensive play. But if you are doing a really, really good job as a player, guess what? Never happened. Uh, twice running backs won when their teams had a 500 record, so an eight and eight record. So Chris Johnson did that in 2009. Of course, that's the CJ2K season. And then Priest Holmes did it in 2002, where he had, you know, I don't know how many touchdowns did he have. Let me, let me pull it up. I think he had like 20 touchdowns or something. 21 touchdowns and 2,200 total scrimmage yards. Insanity. Um, so yeah, they could not be denied. But even so... You know, their teams got, actually, that was in 14 games. Holy Lord. Um, even so, their teams were at least eight and eight. So I do think there's like this, there's this path to a quarterback getting offensive player of the year still when 
the best there's no overwhelming sort of non-quarterback performance offensively or even if there is their teams are meh you know generally your performances they don't make the playoffs these teams with these whoever have awesome performance like let's look at justin jefferson you know the vikings don't make the playoffs in a lot of scenarios this year uh they don't make the playoffs are they really going to give them the award Maybe, you know, like I said, it has been done in the past, but you have to have an extraordinary season in order to have a 500 team that wins the award. So I do think there's a path. And when, again, when you looked at the offensive player of the year voting for last year, it was just like MVP. It was just Mahomes was next. He was second in the offensive player of the year voting behind Justin Jefferson. And then Jalen Hurts was next after that. So Mahomes and Hurts in that rank order. And that's why I think it's interesting when you look at offensive player of the year odds. Again, there's no differentiation between Mahomes, and some of these other quarterbacks. In fact, Mahomes, if you think the best odds you can get for Mahomes is 28 to 1, the best odds you can get for Hertz is 25 to 1. The best odds you can get for Lamar Jackson is 22 to 1. The best odds you can get for Justin Fields is 22 to 1. Like there's just absolutely no reason. Again, offensive player of the year in the past has has aligned with MVP. Offensive player of the year voting last year aligned with MVP voting. Like these odds should just be aligning with MVP odds. There's no reason that Mahomes should should not be number one amongst quarterbacks in in offensive player of the year odds. I don't know why that's the case in a lot of different places here. Like why is he below Hertz, Jackson, and Fields of all people here? Um, so that's interesting. I, I'm gonna research more to try to figure it out here. I think Tyreek Hill is interesting. Like what he did, he promised he doesn't run enough routes. So he has trouble like accumulating, like his efficiency was much better than Justin, Justin Jefferson last year. Uh, but he had down, you know, some down weeks without Tua. He doesn't run enough routes. He's running like 80 something percent of routes as opposed to Jefferson's almost running 100 percent of routes. So Chase is going to be right there, but you're not getting much value on him. McCaffrey, maybe that's interesting there. Cooper Cup, bounce back season. I don't know. Offensive line is going to be trash. The thing about Cup last year is I know like for fantasy stats wise, he looked pretty good, but his efficiency was way down as far as how valuable he actually was in stretching the field. Devontae Adams is an, is an interesting guy at 20 to 1. 28 to 1 is the best odds you can get at FanDuel, I think, because Jimmy G, maybe the connection will be horrible, but it adds some potential like for the team just to be really, really good next year. And they're not going to want to give like MVP to Jimmy G or credit to Jimmy G. Everyone's going to want to give credit to Devontae Adams. And Adams is another one of these guys where he basically runs every route or did last year. So you're giving yourself that tailwind of, of full play out in that season. And, you know, he's 28 to one. The best odds you can get on Garrett Wilson are 30 to one. Like Devontae Adams and Garrett Wilson are that close. It seems very, very strange. Maybe these markets haven't really filled out yet. And, you know, Nick Chubb is another guy where I know the guys that established the run are really into him. I think he's interesting, too. And I think you have this narrative element when I talked about Watson before. Like, if Watson kills this year, which is in his range of outcomes, you know, he's he's adjacent to these top elite quarterbacks that everyone's into, like Hertz and, and Burrow and Allen and Herbert. He's not that far away from potentially bouncing back and being one of those types of guys. The Browns won a ton of games. The Browns have this huge season. No Kareem Hunt there probably next year. Nick Chubb could have a monster year, and he'll. I do think there will be this narrative boost because they're not going to want to like talk up Watson that much. And you know, Watson had a pretty low 
um, the Browns with Watson at very low pass rate versus expectation. Even if you adjust for the fact that they were playing in some awful weather conditions, he was, it was not exactly a high volume thing. So, you know, Stefanski, while he's an analytical guy and the analytical Browns, they do like to lean into the run. So I think Nick Chubb is sneaky 35 to one that you can get him there. But again, I'm going to do a lot more on that market next week. All right. Anyone tuned in here? I'm going to get over to the comments. I haven't looked yet. Uh, to see if anyone had Q&A. You can drop any Q&A here. I know there's a little bit of a delay, I believe, on YouTube, but um, anyone listening on the podcast format who wants to be able to do Q&A, you know, reply to the post on Substack with comments and q and I'll, I'll try to answer those. Uh, also, you know, get, get on YouTube. Get, um, get, uh, get on YouTube. Get... Um, get subscribed to the YouTube channel. I'm trying to get the subscriptions up on that so you can drop some comments during this. It'll be either 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. on Fridays from here on out. Okay, what do we got here? Ian Boyd of America's War Game would be a good conversation. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll write that down. Sold me on Mahomes, thank you. I Good point on Watson. Okay, I'll, I'll take all the credit here. Um, okay, here here's here's an actual question. Conehead, Conehead H-E-D. Are there any ways to use analytics to think about creative ways to change the game, i.e. designing a new offense or defensive scheme, or are we stuck at small deviations from the mean? Um, Interesting question. I mean, I do think we're talking about, I wouldn't say it's analytics, but I do think when we're talking about um, tracking data and spatial recognition, and they have these things that are, um, I'm not an expert in these things. Vernoy, I want to say, is that where you kind of look at ownership of space. So you can you can look at a player's orientation, their acceleration, their direction, their speed, and then you get an idea of how much space they own. It's been used in soccer quite a lot. Um, probably so you can kind of do certain things like that when we talk about space that may be available out. Uh, when you're running routes to try to develop routes in a certain way to bring more space. And maybe from that, you could find some crazy stuff that you should be doing. Um, but I think coaches do a pretty good job in that area. It'd probably be more tweaks around the edges. Um, scheme, mm, I'm not quite sure about it. I, mean, I do think there are ways to enhance like a risk reward, pump up the risk reward on certain things. I remember um, Kevin Kelly, who uh, had a rough go of it last season, moving up to a, a kind of very, very minor league college ranks. But he has, you know, a lot of different things he's, he explored where he was the guy who never punts, the high school coach who never punts, um, and, and did an onside kick all the time. So maybe not that sort of thing, but certain edges and certain things, like he looked at doing laterals on plays. We saw that a couple of times. Who was it who did it? to success this year, but it's things like that, where if you like train and drill on it enough, the upside from these things probably outweigh the downside of turnovers. And people are just so allergic to turnovers when like on a third down, if you run one of these lateral plays, you're going to have to punt it anyway, if you don't pick up the first down. So I think that's probably there. Uh, the, the big scheme thing would be like the James Hardenization of the NFL, you know, guys trying to draw penalties. I think that could something that can happen. I don't know if that's a scheme thing, but those are the biggest things that I can think of. Okay, how much of an edge will an NFL team have if one were to completely buy into analytics from a new tech billionaire owner? Well, 
I mean, I think the edge would be fairly substantial. The problem is getting this thing, these things up and running uh, can be difficult. I know there are, you know, Sumers out there. Um, Zealous is out there trying to help. And they're really like contacting the analytics departments in these different companies, trying to take things off of their plate and being able to help them build out those sort of things. So I think it can take a bit longer. But I think the edge can be pretty significant. I mean, I know that... You know, the Browns and the Ravens have been doing this sort of thing. There's still plenty of in-game sort of edges. The problem is we don't really have a window into, like, the tracking data sort of edges that teams will have there. So I think it's I think it's pretty significant. Um, but more than anything, it's, like, not money that, that necessarily has to be played into it, but, um, but buy-in more than anything else from coaches and others. Um. Do, do, do. Okay, another thing here. Are there things that make the air rate effective other than pass more and go for and fourth down, reducing the number? Um, yeah, I mean, if you listen, you should read the book, um, The Perfect Pass, which I was going to do for a book club here, and then I just kind of <laughs> got got too busy um, over over the uh, at the end of the playoffs, a little break there. Um, the perfect pass where really talks about how mummy and all that with the air raid, the thing with the air raid, it wasn't like pass more, honestly, that it was, it was, we're going to have simple concepts. We're going to adjust to what the defense is doing. And we're just going to drill them over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, so that it's like instinctual what you're doing. So you'd have that advantage over your opponents. And I think it helps in college where you have limited playtime, you have limited ability to adjust to what other teams are doing. So there's like a novelty aspect where it was better too. Um, and that you could execute it with lesser talent. You didn't need great blocking because of the way that it was set up because you had many like quick routes that you could get it out. And, and you didn't need as good of a quarterback of an arm for a quarterback because you were creating so much space down the field and you were allowing to adjust so much that you weren't like requiring them to make these ridiculous out route throws or things of that nature that only a very few quarterbacks can do in the first place. So it was really drilling that in over and over again. That was real. That's part of the system and making it, that you, you know, like you can just do it without even thinking all the different teams and all the different offenses. And you could adjust on the fly also to what the defense is doing because you're just trying to find space in the defense. You're not, you give the receivers flexibility for what they can do too. So, so it's like the adaptability to any sort of system. That was the biggest thing that, that happened with, um, I think with, with, you know, air raid and four verts and all that sort of stuff. Um, what is the Ram team? Okay, this is interesting. Q&A, what does this Rams team look like this year? Are they just going to be a team that feels 10-plus rookies? I don't know what they're going to do. They had 10 picks in the 5th, 6th, and 7th rounds this, this year. They just traded back because they, have no, they haven't had picks for a while and just picked up a ton of guys. I think the problem, and I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with Stafford, and I mentioned this in a pod with Ben Baldwin earlier this week, is you've had the – he likes to post the Rams pass blocking – PFF grades versus performance for their quarterback, whether it was Goff or Stafford. And there's been like this perfect alignment. So, you know, Stafford did really, really well, but his, his pass blocking was really, really good. And then last year, you know, he was trash when um, the pass blocking, I mean, he was getting killed. I mean, literally almost got killed out there with all these concussions and other stuff. Um, and he didn't do so well. 
The thing is, they're probably going to be trash and pass blocking again this year. So that's that'll be really, really hard to overcome. Um, but I am interested to see, you know, what's McVeigh going to do? I mean, McVeigh, it seems like he's not going to go more than one more year. So this is kind of a weird situation, too, because it's not like come back one more year because we're putting the gang back together to make a Super Bowl run. It's more like come back one more year so we can keep this thing together with, um, you know, with spit and glue and 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 scotch tape. to So we still pay out these contracts that we renegotiated for Stafford and for Aaron Donald um, and keep people in them seats, keep them seats up. But I don't know. It's going to be a rough go. It's going to be a rough go. Um, okay, last Q&A here from Sideline Steve. It's got his own symbol here. Um, it's generally thought that offensive success is more consistent than defensive success, but top 10 defenses have repeated more than top 10 offenses in the past three years. What's with the disconnect? Um, well, number one, I guess I'm not really here to verify that. Top 10, we are talking about a third of the NFL here, almost a third of the NFL. So... Yeah, like if a team's are, are, you know, the team that's number one is still able to be number 10. And we think about like the normal distribution of outcomes here, which I don't know how well it fits this particular stat, but it fits most stats. Like even when I'm looking at quarterbacks, they're a little bit more skewed. Uh, they're a little more skewed in certain ways than the actual normal distribution, but it is kind of like the normal distribution in a lot of places. So what you see on that is for the tails, right? So when we talk about rank ordering, if a, t- if a, if a player goes from being first or a, a defense goes from being first to being 10th versus 10th to 20th, when you're in the fat part of the curve in the middle, 10th to 20th, the difference between first and 10th is huge compared to 10th to 20th and so on. So I don't know if rank ordering is the way to do it. Maybe that explains some of it. Cause I think when you just look at, um, Offensive success for the teams that are more at the extremes, having really, really bad quarterback play, mostly on offense and really, really good quarterback play on offense. Um, those are the ones that are really stickier. And it's like if you have a bad year from a homes, you're probably going down to having the third best offense instead of the best offense or the fourth best offense instead of the best offense, um, not like top 10. So I would say that's probably the disconnect is we're talking about the extremes and the and the the stickiness on offense is really uh, fluctuates within those extremes as opposed to the extremes defensively. And we're talking about turnovers are a big part of it. And now you're talking about success. So maybe that, you know, downways turnovers a bit there. Um, that can also be part of it. So I would say that, you know, you can stick around in these kind of like cohorts, these 10 team cohorts, but I don't think it's as strong as necessarily looking at the actual differences uh, and being able to stay in the tails, which are really like the top five at best, you know, or bottom five, staying in those tails is what's going to make the huge, the big, big difference in stickiness of year over year performance. And, you know, offenses are going to do that more often than not. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in, you know, go to Substack, of course, uh, join, subscribe there. A lot more content coming the rest of this off season. You'll hear from me again next week when I interview Bill Connolly from, ESPN. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. 